Hello and welcome to Rethink Luxury. I'm your host, Julia Raymond Hare, and you're listening to the second episode of our special luxury series. Each episode dives into a different topic within luxury retail, and today you'll be hearing about sustainability as a way forward for the luxury industry. I'd love to know what you think of the show, and I always enjoy hearing from our listeners, so please don't hesitate to connect with me on Twitter at Julia R. Hare or on LinkedIn. If you're interested in media or sponsorship opportunities, you can reach our team by emailing media at rethink.industries. This series is made possible by our incredible sponsor, Valtech. Valtech is a global agency serving the world's leading luxury brands in digital and retail, including perhaps the most prestigious Louis Vuitton. As a precursor to this series, Valtech published its paper called Luxury Meets the Modern Era Insights for 2021 and Beyond. This paper was written by four experts who work closely with Valtech's globally renowned luxury clients, and we've linked the paper from our site, rethink.industries, Or if it's easier for you to remember RethinkRetail.org, you'll see a banner on our homepage linking out to the paper, and you can also find it listed in our resources section of the website or on Valtech's website, Valtech.com. In this episode, you'll hear from Sandrine Kuner, a program director and professor of luxury marketing at Harvard, Liz Alessi, vice president of sourcing at Tapestry, and Tim Benix, director of web development at Valtech. As we all know, luxury has, for a long time, been ruled by scarcity, precious gems from faraway places, and handcrafted materials for the select few. But as we uncovered during our last episode, the luxury industry is changing at a rapid pace, and what drives desire is no longer determined solely by what is exclusive, but rather what makes consumers feel good. Fine fabrics, top-tier craftsmanship, and quality customer service are, and always will be, key elements of garnering a positive reaction from shoppers. But as consumers become more aware and engaged with the world around them, they've also increasingly been shown to feel good when they do good. With brands facing more public scrutiny for their environmental and social impacts, the luxury industry has found itself between a rock and a hard place. On one hand, consumer surveys would indicate that diamonds are a girl's best friend when they've been sourced responsibly. On the other hand, Hermes diamond-encrusted Birkin bags and Gucci's Art Jewelry collection remain the pinnacle of lustworthy appeal on social media. Here to speak on this topic more is today's first guest, Sandrine Crenier. My name is Sandrine Craner and I work at HBS. I'm a program director for executive education at the business school. And I also teach a class on luxury marketing at Harvard Extension School. Thank you for joining us today, Sandrine. I'd like to kick off our conversation by first asking you a little bit about sustainability and consumer behavior. We used to hear that consumers want more sustainable options, but they're not willing to pay more for it. Is that changing? I think it's really hard to ignore that sustainability has become center stage for consumers and also for brands. I think it's a little bit different for luxury brands because they are under, I think, greater scrutiny, uh, probably. But yeah, I think, once again, consumers are looking for um, a more meaningful 
consumption and also more conscious consumption. And once again, although luxury and sustainability may seem at odds, no, because on one side you have luxury, it's all about hedonism, emotion, excess, profusion, indulgence, superficiality, you know, all those element that seems a little bit uh, frivolous. On the other side, you have sustainability that is something that is much more rational. It's about moderation. It's about frugality. So they seem opposed, but at the same time, there are a lot of similarities between both because um, I think luxury consumption is the opposite of the throwaway consumption. You know, you don't just get rid of those products and resell them. Either you keep them forever or and they become vintage and some of them, you know, even, I mean, you watch example, is mm-hmm. clear. They evaluate over time. Also, you have all this craftsmanship embedded in the, those products, the quality, the durability, as I mentioned, the exchange value, like you can resell them or you can keep them, you can auction them. The timelessness elements of luxury um, goods make them kind of sustainable Purchase or at least a more sustainable purchase than, you know, for instance, fast fashion that is uh, not meant to last. In a way, um, luxury consumption, I think, can be uh, and actually is perceived I mean, as more sustainable. This is what we call the, the fallacy of uh, green uh, luxury. People, uh, consumers have a kind of a perception that because it's luxury, because it's scarce, because it's high quality, it's necessarily a green or at least maybe greener than other products. And I love the dichotomy that you mentioned between how it seems opposite because of how luxury can be attached to things that are more frivolous, but really they are aligned with sustainable things. Is the messaging changing? Should luxury retailers be messaging around what they're doing or should it be going on behind the scenes? Well, this is a great question and a difficult question because actually we don't have enough research to say that. But it seems like, you know, people engage in luxury consumption for many different reasons. You want to connect to a better version of yourself. You want to fit in, you know, with certain groups. or So... Uh, Luxury consumption is associated with very positive emotion, positive feelings. If you think about sustainability, then that could take you towards those emotions that, oh, we waste too much, or the world is very polluted, or, you know, we have all those problems with global warming, with waste. So these are not like super positive emotions. So... Crafting a message around this, around sustainability can actually um, backfire and kind of contradict this idea of luxury is there to make you feel good, basically. Yeah, interesting. So um, some research shows that maybe it's better to whisper about uh, sustainability instead of, you know, just shouting about it. What I believe uh, for sure is that sustainability is going to be a, a must. You know, it's no longer like something that is cool to have. It will need to be part of the brand's essence and DNA. And it will be kind of prerequisite, but not necessarily something that will give you, at least in the short term, you know, huge competitive advantage or just make you sell your products. So I'm very optimistic about the luxury industry. People become more sophisticated, more educated, and they want to engage in this more meaningful consumption. So for those product categories that matter to you, I think people will buy a luxury version. And actually, there is now a luxury version of almost everything. So I think this is a long-lasting trend. 
You just heard from Sandrine Crenair, Program Director of Harvard Business School. Sandrine brought up a good point about the longevity of luxury goods as well as the feel-good emotions that are attached to luxury shopping. And what's more, Sandrine recommended that luxury brands whisper about their sustainability initiatives rather than allowing them to lead marketing efforts. A great way to do that is by making products from more sustainable materials, from fabrics made from orange fibers to vegan leathers pressed from mushroom roots, we're seeing scores of sustainable new fabrics rolling out from major brands and fashion houses. Up next, we'll learn about the strides Tapestry is making to provide its customers with more sustainable and ethically sourced handbags, shoes, and accessories. My name is Liz Alessi. I am the vice president of the material development team for the Tapestry Group, which is Coach Kate Spade and Stuart Weitzman, if you don't know. I also manage the repairs department for Coach, which is new to me, but very interesting. I'm so happy to have you here, Liz, especially since we're diving into sustainability, because historically, luxury brands have received a bad rap for how and from where they source materials. Would you say that's changing? I think it's definitely changing. I think it has been for a while. And unfortunately, I think the way our industry is set up, we've been chasing the lowest cost for a long time without as much visibility as we may wish to have had about where everything is coming from and what it's made out of. But that's absolutely changing. There's more visibility to the sourcing strategies. And there's a lot of help from outside sources like the LWG group, who's helping us with leather, or the SAC, who's helping us with hardware and fabric sourcing. So Once you shine the light on where you're getting things and what they're made out of, you can start to benchmark against good, better, best from other brands or from some of these companies that were helping us to understand how we can do things better. So it's absolutely changing and it will continue to change as we become more educated ourselves. The groups you mentioned, LWG and SAC, what is their role? Well, one of the materials that we feel most strongly about at Coach as America's house of leather is leather, obviously. And there are a lot of different ways to make leather There are a lot of different countries you can make leather in, different raw materials you can use, and there are a lot of different machineries, chemicals, and all of these are choices that the tanners and the brands have to make in order to ensure that the environment is being protected during this process. So we think of leather as a byproduct of the meat industry because really the cattle raising and slaughter is driven by the meat industry, then the tanners are really taking the hide and they're using that to create leather. Now, the Leather Working Group is an organization who helps to actually physically audit the tanneries with very strict global benchmarks, whether it be for waste management or water usage or energy usage And so we are using them and they have a rating system, which is uh, gold, silver, and bronze. And then we've also announced a goal that we want to be gold and silver rated with the majority of our tanneries by 2025. And we're in very good shape to achieve that. But it's a great organization to help us globally to have boots on the ground and continuously audit these tanneries, raising the bar 
every time they're audited. That's awesome, Liz. I mean, really cool stuff you guys are doing. And is this something that is pretty internal? I mean, do you think your customer knows about this or is it not talked about as much? That's a great question. It's something that we've been talking a lot about, actually. And I would say that just last week when Stuart Vapors did our coach presentation for spring uh, as part of New York Fashion Week, we started to talk about our goals in a much more tangible way to the customer. The presentation was really around responsibility. We don't like to use the word sustainability so much because we know that we're not yet sustainable, but we're trying to be more responsible in every way that we can. So for example, there was a leather on the presentation, which was made entirely of biomaterials. So the hide was veg tanned and they used only organic dyes and no finishing on top of the leather. It's a very unique quality that we had actually never seen before, but we challenged the tannery said, give us the most responsible version of leather making that you can possibly show us. And then we're going to showcase it to the customer. So to answer your question, we're really just getting started and know, working with the marketing team and PR teams on how we can start talking about the things that we are doing and then the things that we would still like to do, understanding that it's a process and we're learning as we go. We're certainly not perfect, but we're eager to get better and better. That's incredible. Made of all biomaterials from start to finish product. Does it look different? Does it look the same? It looks much more natural. That's a good question because a lot of the leather that we see in the marketplace and even leather that we use is covered with, in lack of a better word, let's say makeup to make sure that if there are any imperfections on the skin, they're hidden by this PU finishing or something else on top of it. And this leather has nothing. So if the cow had a tick bite, you're going to see the tick bite. Or if there are stretch marks on the certain area of the hide, you're going to see the stretch marks. It also will change over time, like natural viqueta. It'll change color over time. And these are all things that we are working to educate our consumer on so that they understand that this is a renewable product. And Mm -hmm. this is how you have to care for it. And this is what it's going to look like. And it's different from where we've been in the past, but we're excited to just give it a shot. Yeah, that's so cool to hear that you guys tasked your tanner partners with create something made completely out of biomaterials. Are you coming out with a full product line? Can you talk to any of that? It'll be in some select stores in spring. So the presentation just happened. And if you go to Coach Instagram, you can see some of that. But it'll be a kind of a smaller capsule collection for our spring in-store. Well, while on the topic, I wanted to ask you, for today's luxury shopper, you said you're in the process of educating your consumers on the new leather that you're using made of biomaterials and how you care for that and what to expect. How important do you think ethical and sustainable sourcing is to today's luxury shopper? I think that's an incredible question. And... I'm not really sure I have a great answer to it. I'll be really honest with you because I think what we are seeing is people understand much more about sustainable and responsible sourcing and production. But what we're not seeing all the time is people really putting their money where their mouth is. We're not quite there yet in terms of what the consumer is saying and what the consumer is doing. But I think that is different at different price points in our industry. 
probably at the highest end, I've seen the most kind of action in terms of the brands making very tangible goals around sustainability and the customer responding to that very positively. And then also some very small, more local brands are also making a real strong stand for what they believe in. And customers are obviously responding to that too. I think it gets a little messy in the middle, but I think only time will tell. But I do believe that unless we make a dramatic change in our industry, our planet is going to be in bad shape. You know, fashion has to stand up and take responsibility for what's been going on. It's not the customer's responsibility to be checking us. We need to actually own that. Mm -hmm. And it sounds like you are at Tapestry. And what about business practices? Are there ways to make those more sustainable? Really, waste is my favorite topic of the moment. And we're thinking about it in two ways. One is what do we do with the waste that is created by our process, whether that be sampling waste, production waste, cutting waste, question. And then part two is what can we do internally to stop producing the waste, to be more accurate about understanding what we need to support the development of the product and then what we need to support the sales of the product on the other end. And it's very complicated considering our calendar is so long. Usually accessories take almost a year from the ideas first happen to when it goes into the store. So it's hard to predict what the customer will want by the end of the 11 months or so. But we need to start thinking out of the box in terms of getting closer to that moment or just getting closer to the customer and what they really want, whether it be more kind of test and learn or whether it's literally taking a prototype and sticking it on your website and saying, who would like to pre-order this? Because we'll have it ready in two months and get one-to-one feedback about the product that we're doing so that we stop talking to ourselves, which happens, I think, quite a bit in larger companies. Absolutely. That makes a lot of sense. And I wanted to note because I noticed that last year in 2019, Tapestry and 150 others signed Caring's Fashion Pact. What is your thought with so many industry-led initiatives at play? What are the key factors that brands should be considering for their sustainability plan? Because I'm I'm sure it's kind of like the one-year plan, the five-year plan. We were happy to join in the effort that Caring presented. However, I think that each brand really needs to personalize their efforts around their impact. So if your company's most dramatic impact to the environment is the air conditioning in your stores. I'm just going to make that up. Then that's where you need to be focusing your energy. Or if you are air shipping your finished product or your raw materials, then you need to target CO2 as being like something you need to fix. So then you have to use a vessel. And what does that look like in terms of positioning in your calendar? So I think for us to be very honest, we haven't figured it out a hundred percent in the amount in the level of specificity that I think we need to, but we're getting there. I mean, the, the big hitters obviously are making sure that we have a responsible sourcing strategy for our materials, making sure that we are using manufacturers that are treating their employees fairly. And a lot of these things we've already done, but there's so much more work that we can do to ensure that 
every aspect of what we're doing is conscious. What are some of the easier materials to source sustainably versus some of the more challenging ones? This is something that's changing by the month. So most recently, recycled polyester has become extremely popular. And recycled polyester is popular because you can use plastic bottles to create the recycled polyester. And we know that we have a plastic problem on our planet. But it's gotten so popular that some good things and some bad things have come out of this. The good thing would be that we're using the plastic bottles to create another product, which is great. And we're not buying as much virgin polyester. Maybe a negative aspect of that is that it's becoming so popular that there are companies that are manufacturing plastic bottles just to make recycled polyester. So there's always a little bit of a give and take with these decisions that are made. And as more and more people start joining the bandwagon to source more responsible materials, we have to understand that sometimes when we think we're doing something good, there's going to be a sidecar of something that has a negative impact that we need to be aware of or something we didn't foresee and then try to react quickly to ensure that we're not creating more damage than we're doing good. So you said that recycled polyester is one of the most popular right now and it's easier to sustainably source because of what you mentioned. Are there ones that are just challenging by nature? Absolutely. I think in our world, hardware is one of the more challenging materials We've made a lot of progress in terms of making the process cleaner, in terms of making sure that water is very clean as it's exiting our manufacturing facilities. But this is where technology and cost come into play really across the board, where electroplating is the way that we know how to plate our alloy materials to create hardware for our handbags. And it's not let's say, the most responsible way of plating a piece of hardware. But that's how all of our machines are set up throughout the industry. It's, it's not just fashion. It's silverware and, you know, a lot of things that are made of metal are electroplated. So that's one of the most difficult ones we have in our roster right now. We're focusing on water and energy use to start, but down the road, some dramatic innovation is going to have to happen in terms of manufacturing there to really help us out. Electroplating, I'm not familiar with the actual process, but it sounds like, gosh, just getting rid of all the machinery is waste as well, right? If the whole industry is using it. So it's got to be maybe some startup or something that just blows us away in the future and makes a change, like you said. I also wanted to ask Liz, what are your thoughts about the circular economy? Because the real real and rebag and reselling is blown up in recent years. And I think it's only going to increase, in my opinion. But what are your thoughts? I think it's fantastic. I mean, I think most recently I was seeing something about Levi's too. If one of our core values at Coach is that our bags are made to last, we should have a take back program. We love our vintage bags. So for a number of years now, we've actually resold some of our vintage bags in store, but I think we're definitely discussing broadening that. And so I think that it's going to grow, but the other aspect that we've been focusing on is repairing the bag. So I mentioned at the beginning that one of my responsibilities is the repair department and they love to repair bags. I'm telling you the passion for the coach product 
is incredible with these craftsmen that are working for coach. And so we feel very strongly that when you wear a bag and you, you know, becomes a part of you, you wear it a lot and then something breaks on it or it needs a repair, it needs a new piece of hardware. We want to be there to keep that bag in your hands as long as possible. Then when you get to a point where you no longer want the bag, I think then it's our responsibility to take it back, certainly, so it doesn't end up in a landfill. But I think really what we want is for our bags to be worn for as long as possible. And I have seen some videos of repairs being done to designer bags and designer shoes. And it is amazing, the craftsmanship that goes into repair. It's been exciting just from an educational standpoint. But I also feel very strongly that end of life of product is a big conversation. And coach should be very, very proud of the level of skill and the care that the craftsmen give to the repairs so that we are really standing behind the quality of our products and showing that we care about our bags as much as you do. You just heard from Liz Alessi, Vice President of Sourcing at Tapestry. As we continue the conversation on sustainable luxury, we're going to shift now to pollution. By now, we all know that the fashion industry is notorious for its waste. In April of 2020, researchers with the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change found the fashion industry produces 10% of global carbon dioxide emissions every year, while it is estimated to use around 1.5 trillion liters of water annually. The report also stresses the importance of producing better quality, long-lived items, while innovations like clothing rental and new approaches to resale should be scaled up. At the same time, the luxury industry has been adopting e-commerce at an accelerated rate. This has in turn created more pollution, not just with packaging and shipping, but with the websites themselves. Here to chat with us more about why luxury brands should green up their web pages is Tim Benix, Director of Web Development at Valtech. He's based in Paris. Hi, Tim. Thank you for coming on the show. It's great to chat with you today. Thank you. I'm really happy to be here and talk some luxury. That's great. And I know the topic of sustainability is near and dear to your heart. You wrote an article recently that outlined how some luxury commerce sites are less green than others. Can you explain to our listeners what that means and what we're going to see going forward? The interesting part and also the paradox of luxury is When you look at what a green website is, there's a couple of things that you need to do to make your website as green as possible. So before we say what those are for the listeners, the internet is pretty big, right? It's like number six in carbon emissions per year. That's a pretty big, like it's bigger than the UK, for example, almost double the size. So there's a whole lot of models that record what is a carbon emission when you load a web page? So when there's a lot of heavy assets on a website, you have to download them. That means that your antenna on your phone is working over time, plus your screen is on for longer. So there's all these things. So the longer you are on a website or the more clicks you have to do and load new assets all the time, or if a website is very slow, all of that causes the output of carbon emissions. Average one web page is like two grams of CO2. That's the average website. But then when you look at luxury, all luxury websites are built to tell you a big, amazing story about a brand, right? You want to linger on those pages. You want to experience, like 
we've seen people that look at Rolex watch pages for hours. Wow. It's amazing because they have this whole story of craftsmanship and all of that. The problem is, if you have someone on your website for very long, that's not so good for the environment. If you have a very rich page with a lot of imagery, a lot of film, all these animations, that's also not so great because there's way too many assets on that page to download for your phone, for example. So there's the paradox. Compounds over time. Exactly. And the paradox is you want a website where somebody Googles it, finds it immediately, go to a product page, pay for it, go away again. And so you minimize how much your website is seen because the user needs an action and runs with it. So the only thing you can kind of, like we're not going to change luxury, right? We're not going to tell them don't have those rich pages because they will. That's the storytelling part of it. So what I feel like where we can win here is if you look at the assets that are loaded, why don't you just optimize the hell out of the assets that you show, but still show quality assets? In technology, you have images and the way you can create an image is very complicated. There's a lot of ways to create something in Photoshop, for example. But then there's also many, many ways to save that file. And there's also many ways to show the file on the web. Like it's very complex, but this is one of the biggest margins of winnings for the weight of a page is to actually deal with assets. So some brands started to build like their own tools. Like if I upload the picture from the photographer directly. What can I do with code to actually make sure that it's the right resolution for the user's device? You don't want to show a huge image that you can put on a big wallpaper on a phone, right? It should be a smaller resolution. So the file size is also smaller. You have all these tools that people started to create to actually make sure that there's just the least amount of impact to the user by not loading stuff that's too big or unnecessary. And this is a really good start to at least become a bit more green. Then there's one other bit that a lot of people tend to forget because it's not such an easy thing to work with, which is something we call lazy loading. It's a fancy developer's term for saying, if you don't need something, don't load it. If the user doesn't have need for it or doesn't see it, why load it? Like you see quite often in big projects, let's say the L'Oreal Paris website, when you open the big mega menu on the top of the page, it's full of images and it's looking great, but people don't always open that menu. So why would you load those images when you load the page? It only makes it heavier. It only makes the user stay on there longer and so have a higher carbon emissions. This is kind of the trick that front-end developers can use to just, if you scroll down, only then we load the images that are below the fold, as we say. Or we can do the same with a YouTube video player. Like you don't need all the assets of the video if you're not gonna click play. So just don't load them until you click play. And so there are some of those kind of in between the lines kind of tools that you can use like this that can drastically optimize the way your website loads and how fast it is without saying, okay, we're not gonna do rich experiences anymore, or we wanna keep the user on the page to linger and enjoy the content, that is still possible. So we've kind of had to hack the idea of how can we solve this for luxury brands? And this is kind of the way to go. Fascinating. It sounds like because luxury brands are so heavily invested in the storytelling aspect that that's where lazy loading makes most sense. But would you say the majority of luxury brands today are using lazy loading or is it something that not many are? Any website that comes out now should have it. Not all have it, but it's starting to become more commonplace. 
And now browser vendors have actually implemented native lazy loading, which means the browser supports it. Because before, this was not a concept browsers understood. So this is the thing you should realize about the web development industry is developers find best practices that they think are good. And if they push them hard enough, browser vendors will look at that and create a specification for it. So all browser vendors will implement the same thing. So we don't have to hack it anymore. or don't have to build our own tools. So over time, it will only get better. However, the other part where you have a third party best of breed solution to optimize your images, that's one we don't see as often. But lately, more and more, like I think maybe on average, if you do a new website in a luxury sphere, I would say 40% of the effort is actually managing the images in the CMS. Ah, interesting. Getting them from the photographer, getting your art director to approve the crop that you did in Photoshop, and then making five versions of that image so it fits on all the devices. Then optimize it with some sort of algorithm tool to optimize the image without quality loss and then upload them and then apply them to components. You can actually reduce all those steps by just using one of those tools, right? Because you can upload the picture directly from the photographer and then that system will say, how do you want to crop it? Just click here, done. Oh, so much better. Exactly. And so we went from 40% effort to like 5% effort. You won't want to believe how much money that saves. Like L'Oreal Paris has 60 markets. They all have different agencies to do images. Imagine how much money that is. They all need Photoshop licenses. There's no longer a need for that. So it's winning on all sites. We recently actually worked on a big global program for L'Oreal, where we basically rebuilt a whole bunch of their brand websites. But we used the same technology for all of them, just because they needed to align their environments a little bit. The story about that is a whole other podcast. But overnight, when we flipped the switch and turned this system on, I think we drastically reduced the file size of pages, the performance, but also hosting costs. Everything went down by a lot. And for the users who are operating the CMS, it also went well. And the cool thing about that is that we used a startup based in Paris and it feels like we thousandfolded their business because suddenly L'Oreal Global uses your tool. But that was cool stuff to see how those kind of technical nerdy things that we talk about now can have such an impact on the environment, but also on the end user. Because imagine if your page loads in, let's say, one second or in four seconds, imagine you can click buy in one second rather than in four. That's a pretty big change. So those kind of fixes have such impact. And that's also innovation. On today's episode, we spoke with Harvard Business School's Sanjanine Craner, Tapestry's Liz Alessi, and Valtech's Tim Benix about the role sustainability plays in today's modern luxury industry. Tune in next time as we do a deep dive into the APAC region and its influence on global luxury trends. Rethink Retail Luxury was brought to you by Rethink Retail in collaboration with Valtech. Hosted by Julia Raymond Hare, written and produced by Gabriella Bach, edited by Trenton Waller, social media and marketing by Natalie Arana. <laughs> <laughs>